up, everybody? Ryan Rucco, CC Sabathia with you. Brand new episode of R2C2. We told you we were going to get things really rolling here into the baseball playoffs and throughout. And uh, we are continuing that this week. In case you've missed the last few weeks, we had a really interesting conversation with Jordan Montgomery where he dove into detail about the reasons for his success now with the Cardinals and how some of that is different from what was being done with him with the Yankees. I thought we had a terrific conversation with Dave Roberts, Dodgers manager, gave us some great insight into how the Dodgers machine has stayed as strong as it has over the last 10 years. Also, the conversations he's had with Joey Gallo since going over uh, from the Yankees. And then this past week, Justin Turner, awesome dude, really interesting insight as well. He has been with the Dodgers throughout basically the entirety of this uh, tenure as well where they've been winning division after division and they have the one World Series title, obviously, and, and have been to the World Series in addition to that. And so if you haven't heard any of those conversations, they're the perfect primer for these playoffs. Uh, and we're going to continue that today with Dusty Baker, the Astros manager, who I guarantee you, when you get done with this conversation, you're going to say, I could listen to that man all day. His stories are fantastic. And there are things about Dusty that I had no idea. I think some things even CeCe didn't know. I think uh, you guys may have an inkling of CeCe and Dusty and, and their origin story, but if you don't, or even if you do, you're going to enjoy the detail uh, around that. And I just think, you know, the interesting thing about Dusty is even for obviously a lot of our audience being Yankee fans who can't stand the Astros, they look at Dusty Baker as a completely separate entity, right? Like Dusty came in as this figure of credibility to try and help guide the Astros through the aftermath of their cheating scandal. And uh, when you listen to Dusty on this pod, you know why he was the perfect choice. Uh, obviously, his baseball acumen is is exquisite, uh, but so is uh, his leadership qualities and, and his presence. Um, and so I think you're going to get all of that in this podcast with him, in this conversation with him. Uh, we also have part two of our conversation with Theo Epstein coming up, part two being the part two to the part one that happened uh, a year plus ago now when Theo laid out for us all the different rule changes that Major League Baseball was going to be looking at through the minor leagues. He's come back with great detail to us about why they've decided to make the changes they've made for this upcoming big league season with the bigger bases, with the pitch clock at the times they've chosen, as well as with the shift rules. Uh, and he's also uh, laid down for some things that they've scrapped that they're not going to look into further and other things, including the automatic balls and strikes that they are going to continue to dive into. So that's a conversation you can look forward to uh, in the coming weeks as well. Uh, so some really good, interesting insights in the ways that you can only hear these people on R2C2 uh, coming up um, over the next couple of weeks. We um, also obviously are going to continue to track Aaron Judge's pursuit of history and uh, give our, our thoughts and perspective on that as well as, uh, you know, now that the Yankees have won the division, previewing the Yankees and the ALDS and the playoffs at large uh, will definitely uh, give you a, a nice playoff preview um, next week in advance of the playoffs starting. So uh, with that in mind, the other thing just to keep in the back of your mind is there's a lot of basketball stories coming out already. The NBA just provides such juice, doesn't it? I thought the Nets handled media day as well as they possibly could have. No more uh, new fires were set. Everything in the past was addressed. Um, and, uh, you know, they also know that it doesn't mean anything until they actually 
uh, go ahead and, and do it on the court. The theoretical, hypothetical team needs to actually become a good one. Uh, so all of those things, um, I, I think, you know, from an NBA, what's going on with the Suns right now, DeAndre Ayton and Monty Williams not talking, obviously everything going on with Boston. There's a lot happening in the NBA already. And of course, you know, CeCe and I will continue to have our finger on the pulse of that. We're going to have a lot of great guests throughout uh, the weeks to come and, and reflections as well, just from both of us on the baseball playoffs. So make sure you keep it locked. New episodes every Thursday, bonus episodes as well. Make sure you're uh, subscribed to our YouTube page. It's free to subscribe and follow us on all your social media platforms as well. And you can download the pod wherever you get your podcasts. So without further ado, here is a uh, legendary manager, um, a man who has been in the game of baseball for many, many, many decades, Dusty Baker, the manager of the Houston Astros, joining CeCe and me on R2C2. C, we are getting to chat with someone who I know you go way back with. Yes. No, I mean, you know, somebody that, like, started my baseball career. You know what I'm saying? I started going to Dusty Baker baseball camps when I was 13 years old. And it just kind of sent me on this trajectory and got a chance to meet Dusty when I was a teenager. And I mean, I always tell everybody this story. The first thing he ever said to me was, you can hit, but you need to lose some weight. (laughs) (laughs) And I told everybody that and at the time. And then I remember, I forgot I told him that. And then (laughs) 30 years later, 20 years later, he signs major contract and he goes, Hey man, you know, how am I doing now? And I said, Oh man, you're doing great. And he goes, well, <laughs> I haven't lost any weight. And I like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. What do you remember dusty about, uh, first seeing CC as a teenager, other than the weight? Number one, he was big. You know, I mean, he was one of the biggest guys out there, but he was probably one of the best athletes out there too. And, and, you know, I've seen some, some, some big guys that, that, you know, hide their athleticism until you see them play inside. I mean, just sometimes you go pick out a kid, okay, this kid has an athletic body, this kid's tall, lean or whatever. But, you know, when I think of guys that are, that are, you know, that are big as athletes, I think of CC, I think of uh, Rick Russell, you know, um, um, I think of uh, like Mickey, Lowlands, I think of Fernando, guys that were big, uh, but but they're athletes. And, uh, you know, I mean, he could hit, he could feel his position, he could run. I mean, he could do everything. And he had, a um, you know, that intangible uh, desire to, you know, to succeed. And uh, that's something that you can't really uh, measure, uh, you know, how much desire that he has or how much intelligence, you know, intellect does he have, not only in the game, but you know, outside the game. And, uh, you know, that's what I remember. And and then, you know, he got mad at me and I didn't even know he was mad at me because I didn't make him a, one of the leaders, you know, in the, the counselor. Camp. Yeah. And I was like, really? You've been <laughs> and he goes, man, I should have been a counselor. You know what I mean? But I was like, Hey man, I didn't hardly, you know, I didn't pick the counselors, but I did have some, some say in that, but you know, that showed me that really, you know, how much leadership uh, uh, quality and skills that he had. The fact that, see, most people don't want to be a counselor or most people don't want to be a leader. They just kind of want to fit in, do their thing. And, and, you know, good time Charlie's, I call them. 
but you know, the fact that, you know, he wanted to lead and, and he knew how to lead. And so, you know, which, which transpired and it helped him, you know, throughout his career. And, and Ruko, this wasn't just like a day camp. Like his camp was a, a week long camp where we went up to Sacramento. We stayed in the hotel. It was like everybody together. It was like, you know, for me wanting to, you know, having that impact on a, on a, on a guy's life. And it was just, you know, you had to get a, for me, I had to get a scholarship to go. And it was, it was a huge deal with so many great players there. One of my best friends to this day, Nathan Haynes, I met at that camp, ended up getting drafted, playing in the A's organization. Now, you know, I mean, just the, the lifelong, you know, relationships that you forge at Dusty Baker camp was a big deal. And it's still, a, you know, still relevant to this day because I'm still, you know, friends with a lot of these people. But see, you know what happened is see, my dad t- sent me to the Squaw Valley Warriors basketball camp when I was uh, going from my junior to my senior year. And I was shooting across myself, and I averaged like 12 points a game, but I wasn't that accurate with my shot. And so I went up to the Squaw Valley Warriors basketball camp, and uh, uh, the counselors were uh, Rick Berry, Al Adels, and all the guys from, for, from that camp. And they straightened my shot out from here to there. And I went from 12 points a game to like uh, 23 points a game. And I said, you know, if I'm ever, if I'm ever, you know, make it to the big leagues, which I thought I was, I didn't think I was going to be a baseball player. I wanted to be a basketball player. I said, you know, I'm going to have a camp because this camp straightened me out, you know, uh, you know, as a kid and projected my career. And, um, you know, that's the, that's the first thing I thought about. And we spent the night, you know, we spent, a week in Squaw Valley. And that was the first time I'd ever spent a, uh, a week away from home. You know, my camp was, was rather expensive, but I gave scholarships, especially to, you know, a lot of the minority kids, you know, Mexican and Blacks, to, to you know, that couldn't afford it. And so, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad I did. And I, I've met people like, I went to your camp 35 years ago, 40 years ago. <laughs> And half of them look older than me, Tater too. <laughs> <laughs> you live pretty hard, you know what I mean? You look at my camp, you know, and we look at about the same age, you know. But, you know, like I urge all all kids, their parents, if they could afford it. My dad scraped together like $125 for that week. And, and, it, and, and it changed my life. Mm, that's awesome. See, so that's that's some of what the camp meant to you. How about you know, sort of the, the flip of what Dusty was just talking about. What do you remember most about initially meeting Dusty? You know, those initial interactions and then striking up a relationship. I just remember just his personality being the same. You know, he was just super inviting, you know, easy to talk to. And, you know, it was always the, the same similar relationship that we have now. So I just remember from day one, um, I remember what happened was like he showed up to the camp I was down hitting on the field. And this was like, I was like 13 but the first time I went to the camp. So I'm pretty good at this time. You know what I'm saying? So we taking BP and they like on the knee, lobbing me balls on the knee. I'm 13, like I'm hitting balls fucking, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm smashing balls. So they're like, we got to go get Dusty to see him take BP. So during lunch, when everybody's eating lunch, I'm like, damn, I got to go eat. Like I don't get to eat lunch. But during the lunchtime, they brought Dusty down and I took like normal BP and we had like a 30-minute conversation, and that's kind of where it started from there. That is awesome. Dusty, do you remember? This would be tough, but do you remember that conversation? Uh, not really. I no. Got, 
No, no, because I don't really remember it to be honest. You know what I'm saying? Like <laughs> it's just, just like, hey, Dusty Baker's talking re- to me. I remember yeah. him being there for me taking BP. I remember yeah. like they doing a special BP for me and him coming down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know something? Uh, Jimmy Rollins said I spoke to his church in Oakland, and uh, when he was like 10, 12 years old, and uh, and he told me, he says, uh, "Man, you told me some good stuff, man, that really motivated my life." And I said, "Well, what did I tell you?" He goes, "I don't remember." Wait, sometimes you just you, you you take it with you for the period of time you need it, and then you forget the specifics, but you know it still helped you, right? Absolutely. Well, yeah. you know, some people helped me. Yeah. You know, uh, along the way, I, I mean, I had some great. I mean, the people that I remember most were probably my coaches because they spent more time with me than I actually did with my parents. You know, because yeah. I mean, if we if you saw your parents an hour or two at night, and back then we had to eat all together around the dinner table. And, and, you know, if you spend an hour or two, I mean, that was a lot, a, a lot of time. But with the coaches, you might spend three or four hours every day, you know, with your coaches. And then the, the coaches back then were also usually your math teacher or a science teacher in, in school. And so, you know, you spend a lot of time. I mean, they, they taught me. I remember my parents got divorced between my uh, uh, junior and senior year. And uh, I was I was missing shots and then and, and the, I wanted to talk to somebody and I didn't know who to talk to, you know, who to entrust that. And I remember Mr. McCullough, uh, he told me, he said, you're OK. And because I, I was missing layups and free throws and, you know, and, and I've used this to this day when I see a change in personality with one of my players. And he's talkative and he's not usually talkative or if he's loud and now he's really quiet. I said, man, you're OK, because as as. As people, we all want somebody that we can talk to and trust, but you don't you don't know who to trust. And and so Miss McCullough asked me that, and I and I kind of broke down and told her, yeah, my mom and dad got divorced, and 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 I just spilled my guts out, but it, it, it made me feel better. And, and he told me that he had gone through something similar, you know, you know, as a kid. And you'd be surprised of how many people have 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 gone through what we've gone through. But uh, uh, again, you got to have somebody that you talk uh, talk to and somebody that you really trust. As a young basketball player who thought that was going to be the sport, Dusty, right. when when did you deviate? When did you all of a sudden say, you know what, it's actually going to be baseball for me? Or what was the end of the line for basketball for you? Divorced. My parents got divorced, and I had a number of football and basketball scholarships, and then they got divorced. And then I was oldest of five, and uh, um, you know the Braves drafted me, drafted me low, and then about a week before I was supposed to go to school, I, I prayed on it. I didn't know what to do because back then, you know, they had the Jim Thorpe law that that if you were a pro in one sport, you were a pro in every sport. Where you know, where now oh. I mean, it's a major decision. Where now you can go to play pro baseball and go to college and play pro, uh, you know, football. Yeah. But back then you couldn't do that. And so like uh, in, in my life, all of my decisions that I've prayed on, I've gotten the, you know, the right answer, uh, which was right to go play baseball. Because everybody said, you're playing baseball. You know, I was all city in football and basketball and I went to the state track meet and I was really all nothing in baseball because they were looking for that big kid that hit home runs and, 
you know, that wasn't me, you know, like I grew late, just like my son. I mean, some, some guys mature early and some guys mature late. And so that was the turning point. And then, and then, you know, baseball was relatively easy as long as I was healthy, you know what I mean? I was athletic. And then um, um, I hurt my knee when I got traded to the Dodgers that winter, I hurt my knee and almost ended my baseball career and, and playing basketball with Jerry Manuel. And, and, <laughs> and I went to slam on Jerry's brother and I landed on his ankle. And next thing I know, my knee, uh, I blew out my knee. And so then, and only then did I fall in love with baseball because it was almost taken away from me. I didn't realize really kind of what I had. Cause you know, my whole, my whole training at that time was like, let's go play basketball. Go play hoop. (laughs) (laughs) Mom warned me all the time about going to play basketball and maybe get hurt. And and one of the hardest things for me to do was to tell my mama that I hurt my knee playing basketball because, you know, mama, I told you, I told you. (laughs) You don't want to hear it, but you got to say, stay there and listen to it. And so uh, then... Uh, you know, my last uh, 10 years of my career, I played on one leg, really, you know, and, and my knee still bothers me now. Back then, when they when they cut you, you there wasn't any scopes. Back then, they, they they cut you a long line, and then they, you're in a cast for eight weeks. And, and then once that happened, then I had to figure out how to hit, how to play, you know, how to, how to uh, anticipate in the outfield where a ball might be. And then I start seeing things that I hadn't seen before, you know what I mean? Or even look for, you know, and I was like, well, and, and, you know, I was supporting my mom and dad. That's why I, and, and, and my brothers and sisters, that's why I signed pro baseball in the first place. We you know was just, you know, you know, support them. And so, you know, things, things worked out right. I mean, whenever I got a major decision to make now, uh, you know, I pray on and ask for, a, a relatively quick answer, which I don't get all the time. I'm not my sister. You know, she was a missionary. She got the red phone to the Lord. My my prayers <laughs> take a month or so to get the phone. <laughs> and, and so, but, you know, but I just noticed that when I don't uh, ask for direction and pray on it, then most of the things that I've just gone and done off of my own hadn't really worked out that well. But, you know, on things that when I go and, and ask for direction, uh, it's, it's always worked out. Where, where would you have uh, likely gone to college to play basketball and football, Dusty? Well, you know, I wanted to go to uh, uh, Arizona State to play football. And uh, I wanted to go to uh, San Jose State to play basketball. But I, I really wanted to go to UCLA, but I wasn't good enough. UCLA wanted me in football and USC wanted me in basketball. And I was backwards back in that day. <laughs> <laughs> So my dad, the uh, the high school my dad we transferred to from Southern Cal, you know, was uh, the only blacks in the high school. My last two years were me and my brother, out in Carmichael, and so you know I didn't want to go to a predominantly all white college again, a rich guy college. And my dad was about education. He had signed me up to go to University of Santa Clara. But I, I didn't know Santa Clara had uh, Dennis Autry, Bud Ogden. I mean, they were playing UCLA, but that didn't really, you know, register to me. And um, uh, uh, my dad, you know, he was a Baptist deacon. And so my buddy had a, 
because uh, uh, one of my buddies used to get Playboy magazine every every year, and so you know I was in there reading the you know reading the uh, you know the, the articles, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And then the one article was it said that, that the one two party school in the country was Arizona State and San Jose State. <laughs> and then he come telling me, he says, Oh no, boy, you ain't going there. That's the one two party school in the country. And I'm like, I wanted to ask my dad, man, did you you know, did you read the uh, Playboy magazine? Well, you know that. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> he read the same article you read, the show. <laughs> That's funny. That is amazing. Oh, think, my gosh. I think for young athletes, though, they need to understand what he said for the first part of that answer is that baseball was relatively easy because he played, he was good at the other sports. I think some of these young athletes get so wrapped up in just playing one sport their whole life that they, that's why you get injuries so young. You see Tommy Johns and Torin Labrams and all these different things. Because these kids are playing one sport, so but they many of let them play. I mean, that's yeah. the about it. I mean, my dad in the eighth grade he told me to choose a sport, and I couldn't because I liked them all. You know what I mean? And I was pretty good at them all. And if I wasn't good at it, I'd go practice and practice and practice and watch Elgin Baylor play basketball or watch Jim Brown or watch Gail Stairs and them and, and and see a cutback move or something. You know what I mean? And so, you know, I was about studying and i'm still about studying and 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 i believe that that athletes that play other sports they learn how to roll they learn how to avoid uh uh collisions they they can time the ball on the wall like you know like a rebound that hangs up on the up on the rim and i can tell guys that could play you know that played other sports mm-hmm. and i can tell by the work ethic i can tell how they you know how they move I can tell guys that played soccer versus guys that got two left feet and they don't know which one is going which direction. And <laughs> and and the athletes that I really, really like to have on my team are wrestlers because they know how to train, football players because they turn you know, they tend to be tough, basketball players because they tend to be a- athletic because you you, you 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 can't tell me that half these guys in the NBA couldn't be playing baseball right mm-hmm. now. Okay, Allen Iverson would have been a hell of a shortstop, and you know what I mean. I mean, yeah. dude, here you go. And and I like and the hardest thing I I try to play them off. The hardest sport that I ever tried to play was water polo, and I lasted about two days. You know, what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, no, it was too tough here. You know what I mean? I can't even imagine that. <laughs> yeah, I, I was trying to be like Jim Thorpe and Rayford Johnson, all American. You know what I mean? Like, you know, the Catalan guy. That's what we did, man. I mean, we played from sunup to sundown, especially in the summer and 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 in the wintertime you play in this fall you play football. And 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 in the wintertime you play basketball because you're supposed to be in a gym. And the hardest thing for me to play when I signed pro baseball was to play winter baseball in Sacramento. That wasn't no fun, man. It was like 35 degrees and the rain in I'm supposed to be in the gym. You know, <laughs> and, and then the smell of of summertime, you know, when the spring comes, you know, springtime comes, baseball. you're supposed to, be, supposed to be playing baseball, you know, and in the summer you play whatever you want to play in the summertime. I and mean, we played from, like I said, in the backyard. And, and I feel sorry for, for kids that didn't have brothers and sisters because man, we, you know, like we didn't have anybody to play with. We had each other to play with, you know, mm. me and my brothers, you know, and then we played, 
like me and my brother would play strikeout. He's younger than me, but he was a better hitter than me. My brother Rob, because we play strikeout like right before dark with the with the tennis dirty tennis ball and up against the garage. And 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 if I struck out on Monday, and we played the whole week, my brother I couldn't strike my brother out. All that <laughs> I really did, but that but that also taught me how to battle at the plate and how not to play strike, you know, how not to strike out. Strike out, because, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was big, man, because, man, you don't want to pitch for the whole week, you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Ruko, did y'all play that game? Did y'all play strike out? We did. Huh? Okay. We did, yeah. We played strike out. Yeah. Man, wasn't that fun, man? So fun. So oh, fun. We played, and, we played burnout. Did you play burnout, too? We played burnout. I didn't play burnout. We oh. used to play, we play, you know, we play pickle, or running yeah, bases, yeah, you know, yeah, like down on the pickle. Yeah. But you see, I hate to play burnout with him <laughs> <laughs> because you're up close and, and you throw the ball right at the waist because you don't know which way to turn your glove. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> get it right in the belly. <laughs> but see, D- Dusty, my I, I have one daughter who just turned one, but this conversation is making me think. I'm gonna have to give her a couple siblings just so so she has her group to play with growing Absolutely. up. That's what this is. That's, well, that's what this is teaching you, me. That's on you and your wife. I ain't hear that. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dusty, I, I'm. There's so many interesting things. I mean, this is just such an awesome conversation. So many interesting things you just mentioned. I want to take it back for a moment because I'm sure some of the people who are listening or or watching on our YouTube channel will pick out you saying that you and your brother were the only two black kids at your high school in your junior and senior year. Was that right? Yeah, Sacramento, Del Campo High School, Carmichael, California. I mean, obviously, there's a million different layers to that experience, I'm sure, to dive into. But when you think about, you know, what still resonates most with you from going through that, what, what is it? What was that like? Well... And then my sister was the only uh, black girl at the junior high that fit the high school. Then my brother and sister were the only, uh, 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 my younger brother and sister, the only black in, in elementary school that fit the junior high school. And, uh, you know, what, what, what resonates is that, you know, you know, we moved in the neighborhood and then for sale signs came up right away. And then, you know, guys across the street told my daughter to get on her side of the street. And, uh, um, what it, uh, when I look back on the lessons that I, you know, that I learned, I got some, I got some real good partners that came out of that. Uh, I, I also had some people that, you know, that were kind of fake and phony and, and, and you learn like, you know, to see through, you know, different things. Uh, but you also uh, taught me probably that most black people um, have had to learn how to get along to survive with 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 white people more than white people have had to learn how to get along with us, you know what I mean? And that's that's what kind of resonates, uh, uh, you know. That uh, I got a lesson on on uh, you know different kind of music, you know different kind of uh, things, uh, period in life. And then I went right from there. And this was this was sixty seven, sixty eight. This was right when the movement started in Oakland. And then I was gonna, and then I was mad for a while, and I was gonna change my name to Dusty X. And my daddy told me, "I brought you in this world. I'll take you away from here." And and, <laughs> and 
And the one thing he didn't want me to, he didn't like me hanging out in Berkeley. I could go to Haight-Ashbury, I could go Winterland, I could go anywhere, but he didn't want me in Berkeley. And you know, that's the first place I wanted to go. And that's the first yeah. place, so you know what I mean? But um, um, it just, uh, and then I went right from there to the South. And Hank Aaron is the reason I signed because they flew me and my mom against my dad's permission to LA. And I signed in LA with the, with the, and Hank Aaron told my mom that, that if I had enough uh, confidence in myself to, to be in the big leagues by the time my graduating class would have graduated from college and go ahead and sign, if not, uh, uh, then go to school. And, you know, confidence wasn't really one of my, one of my weaknesses at that time. And it still ain't. But, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, then I went right from, from, and Hank Aaron told my mom he would take care of me as if I was his son. He made me go to church, made me get up. Uh, you know, I was in the big leagues at 19 years old. So, you know, they called me up. And then um, uh, that's where I met my roommate, Ralph Gard, Cito Gaston. They were my teammates. Uh, and I was always the youngest on the team, probably much like CeCe was. And, you know, I was called a kid all the time. And uh, and then I went, like I said, from all white to the South, the segregation. We couldn't get off the bus to go get a sandwich. And and then Ralph Gar, really, he's from Ruston, Louisiana, where Grambling is. He taught me how to survive and how to, you know, be in the South, you know, because, like, you know, I wanted to fight everybody or whatever it is. I'm looking at it and get my head bashed in and when nobody would have said nothing. But I was lucky that I had Hank Aaron, Ralph Gar, uh, Mr. Bill Lucas, who ended up, who was the first black farm director and ended up being a general manager as, as, as uh, I was blessed to always have a guide, to always have somebody to take care of me. I was all blessed to always have a mama in every town that, that would cook for me, that liked me, you know, because they, you know, they said I was a polite little dude and they never heard nobody talk like that from California. <laughs> <laughs> but that had to be a complete culture shock going from California to the South because it Ooh. was for me even in the 90s. When I went from California to the South, even in the 90s, I was like, what is this? And where am I? And yeah, I was mad too. You know what I'm saying? You like, you see people looking at you a certain way and you feel you walk in a restaurant and it gets quiet. It's like, you never, I, I never, I had never experienced that in Northern California. And then, you know, fast forward <laughs> into the, you know, the late nineties and it's like, oh, this is, oh, this, this is, is this is what side. it's like. But see on the other side, you know, I call, uh, uh, you know, a black girl's house, you know, uh, in the South and, and, and her mama, I could hear her mama saying, there's some white boy on the phone named Dustin. <laughs> 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 Speaking super proper, eyes. <laughs> you know, my like, who the hell is this? That is amazing. Oh my gosh. You know, like Dusty, I think just uh, already in this conversation, you know, it, it's very clear why everything um, that was said about you when you got the Astros job was said that you were the perfect person to take over this team, to sort of, um, you know, help them restore their reputation, to bring credibility back to them after, you know, well, what they've gone through. I'd like to also 
hope that they hire me because I know what I'm doing. Yeah. And and, and, and and that's part of the credibility, right? All the years right. of your success in this league. Right. I mean, what, Dusty, when you talk about, because, you know, you were just talking about, like, the questions of, of just asking your players, like, what's going on? If you see mm-hmm. if you see something going on. And in today's day and age, obviously, is 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 heavily uh, statistical, for sure, right? And, right? and numbers driven. But there's the human element as well. And you clearly have your finger on the pulse of people as well. What so you got to have both. You got to have both. And so, yes. Yeah, how do you do that. it? How do you how do you create that that marriage as a manager? You know, I've always had that. I mean, I always I always had numbers. I always use stats. I always like uh, it, it didn't have a name. It didn't have X two X Y Z on it. You know what I mean? We had pitcher batter matchup, or you know, we had like uh, runners to score position, or we all uh, you know. I always looked up like for my relievers which guys were good with runners inherited, you know what I mean? Which guys are first mm-hmm. better efficiency, which guys go out there and give up all CC's runs, but don't give up none of his runs. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Those guys too, see, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. <laughs> his ERA is 2.0. Yet <laughs> still, I mean, we've always had that. I remember talking to a general manager and, and, uh, and, and, he, and he really – put it in focus to me when he says that um, in many ways we have dehumanized the game. And, and that was a major statement to me that you have to, you have to realize that, that this game is played by humans, not played by robots. It's not played by, you know, why don't you hit for this guy or quit for that guy? And sometimes I know I should hit for that guy, but I'm trying to build confidence. And, and, and that's the thing that the numbers don't do. It doesn't build confidence. In, in, in the players. I mean, I can't have a guy looking over his shoulder every time he's going to go up the hit thinking I'm a hit for him all the time. Or or I can't take a guy out of the game sometime when his base is loaded. And I know this guy can throw up uh, a, a ground ball double play, but, but, but it says you're supposed to bring this other guy in there. But I know that this other guy should be in there, but he's scared to death. You know, And sometimes it's, this guy ain't scared at all. You know what I mean? And I'm hoping that this guy throws up this double play. Boom. Now I got a picture, a confident picture for the next month. And plus my dad, I remember he taught me a valuable lesson. Uh, I got up in this tree, right? So man, it was getting dark. It was like dinner time. And I told my dad, call the fire department or somebody come, come get me. He said, you got up in that tree. He says, you get out on, on, on your own that I was getting hungry. <laughs> I was still up in that tree. And so I use that example. Sometimes you have to learn how to get out of trouble as a pitcher. I mean, you got to know, okay, I'm going to strike this guy out, pop this guy up, next pitch, I'm going to double play. And because I try to tell my, my young pitchers, I said, because I remember one time we were in uh, Cincinnati, we were facing uh, the Cardinals. And so I asked this kid at bases load, I asked this kid, what were you trying to do is one out? He said, I was just trying to get this guy out. He struck him out. But then I had Albert Pujols up next. I said, dude, you still ain't out of trouble. Mm-hmm. So I, I said, you want to throw up a ground ball, throw your best ground ball pitch. If it gets through the infield, you've done your job. Okay, all you can do is throw up a ground ball. Because <laughs> just because you strike this guy out, now you got the dangers that were pulls up next. You know what I mean? And and so I try to talk to him 
as far as pitching what you need. You know, sometimes sometimes two outs, you don't mind a little dude to think he got power hitting a 382 foot, no, 300. I don't, I don't even want to get that close. 342 <laughs> foot fly ball to center field, you know, what I mean? with two outs. And, and so I just try to help them to help themselves uh, uh, because if if I can stimulate your brain, like my brain has been stimulated at times to think for itself, you'll figure it out. But 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 I see everybody now going to the iPad or or you gotta tell them this, which is okay. But but some of this you gotta you gotta have total recall. That's what Hank Aaron told me. He said, Man, you gotta have total recall. Cause I remember Fernando Valzuela, they said, Oh yeah, he's a young kid, boom, boom. And I remember Fernando hit a uh, no, Andre Dawson hit a home run off of Fernando in April. You know, we didn't have those stat packs and stuff. And then, and then come August, he struck him out and threw him a, a different pitch because he says, I remember in April, and I knew that kid was going to be all right then because he had total recall on every situation. And this is, if you want to be a great ball player, you want to be a great manager, a coach, or whatever, you got to have you got to have total recall and have vision that, that other people and see things that they don't see. And that's what, and that's like a little bit of the analytics have taken away development. I think for what he's talking about is just developing your mind as a baseball player and as a big leaguer and understanding, like you say, in some of these situations that, you know, it may, it may call for left on left, but this right, he's got a good changeup. And if he can get out of this, then like you said, I got a confident pitcher that can get me a, a lefty out down the line, maybe in the playoffs, you know what I'm saying, when I need him. So I think, you know, the analytics have stunted the, the the development of a lot of these players where they just look at the iPad and if the numbers ain't there, like they don't really know what to do. You know what I'm saying? Like it's, they don't know how to fix it. They don't know how to – it's just because it's all on the computer. So it, it's, it's nothing up here for them to recall too. Right, exactly. And, and I remember one time I, I had a, a guy, a catcher, that just – was traded from from the team, right? And you know yourself, CC, when you imagine yourself pitching to your teammates, yeah, yeah. you know, like how do I get this guy out. You know what I mean? And so I gave the guy the wrong card, you know, cards that they have in their back pocket, and I gave him the wrong card. And he was lost. He, he didn't even know how to get his own teammates out. <laughs> <laughs> I swear, I, I, I found that amazing to me because, because you know, every pitcher I play with, you know, I listen to them. They're like, oh, man, I know how to get you out. And so I just let them talk. Mm. And then and then and then once I face him, he going to get he going to do exactly what he said. And then I'm going to scald him. And then he's going to like, man, how'd you get that pitch? Well, fool, you told me. You how told you me. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yep. Hey, Dusty, I know, uh, I know you have a lot of, lot, lot to do and got to run. I want to ask you one last one real quick. Cause you've obviously been around this game a, as a great player and now a, a, an incredible manager for a very long time. What do you just think just watching what Aaron judge is doing this season. I know it's on a, a team that's a rival of the, the one that you manage, but watching his historical season and, and knowing the greats that you've seen and played with and managed. Yeah. Great is great. I mean, I know the people that he grew up with in Linden, California, which isn't far from Sacramento. And, uh, uh, you know, they grow a bunch of walnuts and almonds and, and <laughs> it's ag country. But I think what he's doing 
under this pressure of New York City and free agency is is un, uh, unbelievable. And and uh, people ask me, well, who's the MVP? Well, last year I believe that Otani was the MVP, but I, I I can't give it to him as much as I admire this cat and what he's doing. Otani, man, how do you in modern times? You know, how do you be in line to win the triple crown and hit sixty home runs when they're saying that that? And usually, if a guy's hitting a bunch of home runs, he's hitting two thirty or two forty. Mm-hmm. I mean, so he's not only slugging, he's hitting and driving in runs. And see, uh, that, that that's the most amazing thing are the amount of runs that he's dri- driving in and the amount of runs that he's producing. Because usually, and especially he was doing it in in the leadoff but in the second spot. I mean, he's got his gravy spots like three, four, five. You, you they're out there for you all the time. Yeah. And him, unless you got a tremendous eighth and ninth hitter, which most teams don't, then you know his opportunities are, are aren't that. And everybody's pitching around him. So I mean, he's my unanimous, you know, MVP. He's a bad boy. I mean, because I didn't think that he was going to continue this pace, especially playing center field. Hmm. That's a lot of work. And he's not only continuing the pace, but you know something? He's a hell of a center fielder. I, I, I was, I was, uh, I mean, that surprised me, man. He's doing work on both, on both sides of the field. Dusty, this is, uh, this has been so fun. We could obviously talk to you for hours upon hours upon hours. Thank you so much for carving out time for us uh, during this busy schedule and congratulations on another trip to the playoffs and best of luck in October. We'll be there. See, I'll see you down the line. Oh, you know, I appreciate you. I love you. Thanks for coming on. And listen, I'm glad you didn't talk those stuff on the (laughs) (laughs) I told you, I told you it's good now. You there, it's all good. I know, man. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, Dusty. Thank you very much. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation with Dusty as much as CeCe and I did. He uh, is just so interesting. I mean, how about the fact, and I alluded to this on Twitter a couple weeks ago, that he he would have potentially played basketball or football if the rules were what they were today, where you don't lose your eligibility in those sports collegiately if you play a different one professionally. We saw that with J.R. Smith recently going back to college to play golf. LeBron joked about it the other day, talking about going back to college to play football. Uh, Dusty never really got to explore basketball or football because he needed to go play baseball and start his professional career and make money. Uh, And uh, you heard Dusty say it. He may not have played baseball if not for his parents getting divorced. Just one of the really interesting things that Dusty shared with us. I hope you guys enjoyed that conversation Many more interesting guests to come, including Theo Epstein, uh, very shortly. So make sure you're locked into all things R2C2. Uh, New episodes every Thursday, bonus episodes as well. Playoff time's almost here. Peace, everybody. Peace, everybody.